scripture this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 16, 15 through 23. Now Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty, your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel, what shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with him will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel of Ahithophel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted with the word of God. So, so was all the counsel that Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing us together here as your people, that we can praise you. We pray that you would, um, that you'd be with Mark as he preaches, that he would proclaim your word boldly. Pray that you would open our eyes and ears and uh, transform us to be more like you. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Didn't check this beforehand. There we go. Now I can see it better. <laughs> well, good morning. Glad that you're here with us to worship. And we get the privilege every Sunday to get into the Word of God, to study His Word, to give Him glory and worship Him through hearing His Word, through studying His Word, through understanding His Word. That's what we're all about here. We want Him to be the center of all of it. We want to know what He says and who He is, and then how we can apply that to our life today. And, uh, and so this time, as we continue through 2 Samuel, is for His glory uh, most of all. Um, today, today's... Uh, how do you say it? Today's, we're going to see another characteristic of God. Last week, last week he saw his sovereignty. Um, we also saw, we didn't talk about it, but his providence. And we'll, I'll explain that just in a second. Um, what that is, his sovereignty is he's in control of all things. Uh, today we're going to talk about his trustworthiness. And so here's, here's the question I have. Who do you trust most in your life? Excluding God. That's a given. Okay, so like a, a person in your life, who do you trust most? Do you trust your parents? And everybody should say yes, right? Do you trust your children? And all the parents say no. Do you trust your teacher at school? Do you trust, well, unless your parent is your teacher, then that's, ah, that's a really hard one, right? What about your pastor? Oh, I heard that, Elias. What about your best friend? 
What about a spouse? Think of all these people in your life. Who do you trust most? And then ask this question, what makes them trustworthy? What have they done that makes you trust them the most out of everyone in your life? Does that person who you trust always do everything that he or she promises? Oh, that makes it a little bit more difficult, but they're still trustworthy in our minds, right? Because the answer, of course, is no. No human being can keep every single promise ever made. But there is someone who always does what he promises, who always does what he says he will do, and he's the one that David trusts the most. David is fleeing for his life from his son Absalom, whose goal it is to make himself king of Israel. And last week, we saw God's sovereignty, that he's, he's in control. He's got legal, kingly authority over all things in the universe, including the situation that David is in. We also see his providence over all things, which means he is active in time and history. We do not believe in a God who made everything and then walked away and said, I wonder how it's going to work out. He is actively at work within history. So whether given honor or cursed to his face, David places himself in the hands of a sovereign and providential God, the one who is over all things. And this week, the characteristic of God, his trustworthiness is seen. His sovereignty and his providence are still active, but God uses these two men, Hushai and Ahithophel, one to ruin good counsel and the other to fulfill a consequence of sin. And both of those men point to God's trustworthiness. How's that going to work out? That's what you're thinking. Like, really? Okay. Well, Hushai, Hushai is used by God to ruin good counsel. We first met this man when David had reached the summit of Mount Olives as he, as he fled from Absalom. David is, had just prayed that the Lord would turn the counsel of Ahithophel, who had be, just betrayed him, just found out that he had rebelled against him. He, he asked that he would turn this counsel or this man's counsel away to foolishness when Hushai appears. And David immediately realized that this was an answer to his prayer, and so he sends Hushai back to Jerusalem as a spy. And when Hushai stands before Absalom, he speaks of his loyalty to the king. But Absalom, he ain't no dummy. He smells something a little fishy here. He says... Is this your loyalty to your friend, that is to David? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai's answer is classically cunning. He's general enough without renouncing his loyalty to David. He says, For whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be and with him I will remain. As I have served your father, so I will serve you. So who is the chosen king of Israel? 
Well, it's not, it's not Absalom, it's David. David is the chosen king, and he served David with loyalty, and he still serves him with loyalty. And so he will serve Absalom in the way that his king, David, desires him. He desires him to serve as a spy. And we find out later in chapter 17 that God had ordained or literally commanded to to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. He commanded that Hushai would be there so that Ahithophel's counsel would be turned to foolishness. Hushai was used by God to ruin the good counsel of Ahithophel, in order to bring harm upon Absalom. That's chapter 17, verse 14. And so what does this have to do with God's trustworthiness? Well, we'll get there, but before we deal with that, because we have to deal with Ahithophel and his counsel, because his advice, Ahithophel's advice, is used by God to fulfill the consequences of David's sin. Concubines... You're welcome, parents. Are women who were put in the service of the king, and they were similar to wives, but without any of the privileges. To kings throughout history, these women were a sign of power. But in Israel's case, they were a sign of trouble. Nowhere does Scripture condone taking more than one wife or any concubine by anyone. And David had ten concubines, and he left them in Jerusalem to take, take care of the house while he was away. And Ahithophel's counsel to Absalom was to go into these concubines to have sexual relations with them in the sight of all of Israel, meaning that everyone would see him walking into the tent, and everyone would know what he was doing and why he was doing it. And it Because in doing this, there would be no doubt in anyone's mind as to Absalom's ultimate goal. He wants the throne. Absalom's actions are actually detestable to the Lord. That's Leviticus 18, the entire chapter. Read it. The consequences of Absalom's actions will actually come back to bite him because he will face them in the coming chapters. But it's interesting that God, in this moment, God uses Absalom, his sinful actions, to fulfill the consequences of David's sins. Now, after his sin with Bathsheba, David is confronted by God through his prophet Nathan. And this is is what Nathan says to David. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. That means publicly, so everybody can see it. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the son. So God uses the counsel of Ahithophel to fulfill the consequences of sin that he promised to David. And we usually think of God's trustworthiness in only positive terms, which... It's always positive, not necessarily for us, though. Throughout the Bible, God also promises not just to fulfill the blessings, but the curses, the consequences for disobedience and rebellion against Him. 
And though the throne is on the line, God has not forgotten his promise specifically to his people. Though all hope in this moment seems lost, David is still God's anointed king, and Israel is still his people. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Ten chapters back. Because this, is, this passage is, is vital for us to understand this covenant. And in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm going to read from verse 11 through 16. This is part of the covenant. When David comes to the throne of all of Israel, God says this covenant to David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 11. The second half of 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means when you're dead and old, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In these verses, the Lord makes a covenant with David that his throne would be established forever, that there will always be a son of David upon the throne of kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Israel forever. But God, through this covenant with David, also makes a covenant or is making a covenant with his people, Israel, the kingdom of Israel. He says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Well, David's kingdom is not a land. It has no borders. It's not the traditional nation state that we think of. His kingdom is a people. And so despite David's sin, despite his desperate flight for his life, despite Absalom's clear intentions of dethroning and killing David, God has not forgotten and he has not forsaken his promises, not just to David, but to his people. David is still the Lord's anointed king. And God always accomplishes everything that he promises. And he says in this passage, I will establish Israel forever. I will establish the kingdom forever. I will establish the people, my people, forever. And so though in the moment all looks lost for the people, God's trustworthiness has not diminished. We tend to to think sometimes when we read Scripture, like, well, I mean, God is sovereign over, over all things here, but, you know, later on in the New Testament, He's not quite as sovereign. Well, he's, he's loving in the New Testament, but back in the Old Testament, he wasn't really loving. Well, he had control over this part of history. He's providential here, but, but he's not here. Well, God was trustworthy here, but he obviously failed here. 
That is not the God that we worship. He is just as sovereign, just as powerful, just as providential, just as loving, just as judgmental, just as trustworthy as he's always been. We, we worship a God that never, ever changes. And so when, when our God says, I will do this, he's going to do it. Rarely in our time. How many times have we said that, like throughout the book of 2 Samuel? Well, he hasn't done it for me. If he promises it, he's going to do it. But not in the time that we expect. If God always accomplishes everything that he purposes and promises to Israel through David, namely establishing them as God's people in his kingdom forever, then this same truth applies to those who are God's people today. God always accomplishes everything that he promises to us through his anointed king, Jesus Christ. And all you got to do is read through the New Testament for sure. I mean, the, the whole Bible ultimately, but just grab, grab one of the Gospels and start reading through it and, and catch all of the promises that he makes to his people. I'm just going to look at one, and it's one of the most famous ones. John 3, 16. But we're not going to stick with 16. We love staying with 16. It's easy to remember, and it's like, oh, this is awesome, is it not? We got to put it in context, because one of the rules of studying Scripture, a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. So if we pull a verse out, and we just take John 3, 16, and it's, it's the truth, the problem with that is if we don't take the context around it, we may not fully understand, and we actually misinterpret what that verse is saying. So we got to bring the whole thing into context. So this is what John 3, 16 through 21 says. Now listen for the promises of God in this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked, wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Whoever believes and trusts in Jesus as their Savior from the wrath of God for their sins will receive life everlasting. That's a beautiful truth. God sent his Son into the world to save those who believe. He makes those who believe to become part of his kingdom. He brings us into his family, into his fold. He makes us his people because God's kingdom is not bound by lines on the map. 
This is His promise. If you believe, you are mine. And He always accomplishes what He promises. If you believe in me, you are my son and you are my daughter. If you are part of the kingdom, if you are a child of God, remember and hold on to this truth with confidence. This is not a confidence found in ourselves. This is not a confidence found in my perfection. David did not find his confidence of being God's chosen king in himself because he utterly failed to be perfect. He utterly failed at it. But his imperfection did not determine whether or not he was the anointed king or whether or not he was even part of the family of God, whether or not he was a son of God. God says, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, and that's exactly what David is doing here. If you were part of the kingdom, you are his child. He has made you through his son, Jesus Christ, his son or his daughter, just as he promised. And if you want another passage to hear this, and speaking to those who believe, this is what God says in Romans chapter 8. Verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. So he kind of covered everything. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we are a child of God, nothing will remove us from his love. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Well, I mean, I, what about last week? You know, I, I committed this sin or I disobeyed my parents. I mean, like, I didn't honor my mom and my dad. Okay, so like I broke up. Um, that's a major commandment, isn't it? Well, if you're a child of God, the beautiful thing is he says, I don't hold those things against you. That doesn't mean you can go ahead and just do whatever you want. It means that sin, I can never take you from my hand. I love my children. They are not always obedient to me. And they face the consequences of their actions against me as their father. Now it sounded like power mongering, didn't it? But you know what I mean. But that does not change the fact that my children are mine. Because nothing Nothing they ever do or say will ever remove them from my love. They will face the consequences of their disobedience and their sin. But that will never change the fact that they are mine. If that's how it's true with humanity, or how it should be with humanity, how much more so for our Heavenly Father? Once we are His, He never removes us. Ever. But God makes another promise. He actually makes that promise in the passage of John 3, 16 through 21. Jesus has come into the world to shine his light of salvation. Should you hate his light and you flee from him, should you reject Christ and the salvation that he brings, 
you will not receive everlasting life, but you will receive everlasting death. This is his promise. And he always accomplishes what he promises. As he did with, with Ahithophel, David faced the consequences of his, of his actions. God says, I'm going to do it. And you think, okay, well, he's fleeing. That must be the consequence. Like, no, God was very specific. This is what I'm going to do. And he did it. He did it. And you got to know that David knows all of this is a consequence of his sin, stemming from his, con- his sin with Bathsheba. When God says, you rebel against me, as, you, as David did, you rebel against me. When I say, when I say you, need to, you, you need to accept my son, you need to receive him, you need to believe, you need to repent, you need to look to him, you need to run to the light, not run away from the light. Because if you run away from the light, you will not be saved. He will do just as he promises. You will face the consequences for your sin because whereas with somebody who's a a part of the kingdom of God, a part of the people of God, we sin, we know it, we're not perfect. But we also know that it's not held against us because God says so. If you do not believe in Christ, if you reject him, what hope do you have? Because he says, you reject my son, you reject me, and I will reject you. And you will not be with me and have life everlasting. This is his promise. This is his promise. He is our trustworthy God. And we will not be able to walk up there and say, well, I try to be as good as I possibly can. And God's going to say, yeah, that's not the standard. My standard is perfection and you failed. Well, what about that Christian over there? Well, he believes in my son who was perfect. And so his perfection is put upon them and I see only my son and not their sin. And so if you do not believe, if you are rejecting Christ, if you are fleeing from him, because I, do nev- I never make the assumption that everyone in this room right now is a believer, then you need to hear these words. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ. God has promised to punish those who rebel against his anointed king. Jesus Christ. So take those words to heart. Believe, receive the promised life because our God is a trustworthy God. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he stood before his disciples and he spoke of his imminent death. He spoke of the one sacrifice that he is going to have to make which would open the way for us to go into God's presence for all eternity. God promises, he promises that through Christ's sacrifice we would become his and he kept his promise. This is what we celebrate at the communion table. This is what We remember. This is what we praise God for. This is what we worship Him for as His people. This is why we celebrate open communion. As if we don't, you don't have to be a member of Elm Creek. It's not like being a member of Elm Creek is not the, the standard. 
of being able to come and worship God at the communion table. It's, are you a child of God? Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your treasure, and your Lord? That's the standard. And if you've, if you've done that, if you are a child of God, you are welcome to join us. But if you have yet to do that, take this seriously. Heed these words today. Hear what Christ did. And hear that God will keep His promise. He always keeps His promises. As we come to the table... We remember what Christ did for us because without Him, none of us would be able to call ourselves the people of God. None of us could. It's through Him and through Him alone, through Jesus Christ alone, that the light of salvation is shown and so we glorify Him through this table. And so we ask, if you, if you are not a child, if you do not believe, if you have not repented, stand back, wait, don't come to this table. Take this seriously. Because if you take this, the Bible says, in an inappropriate manner, if you're taking it like this is a nice snack, you are putting yourself in danger of being on the bad side of God, including death itself. That's how serious this time is. But as a child of God, it's serious. It's serious celebration. We look at this and we remember and we say, thank you, Christ. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for taking the punishment for me. Thank you for filling your Father's desires. Thank you for being our trustworthy God. And so when you're ready, grab the cup, grab the bread, have a seat, Meditate, remember, think about who Christ is, what he has done. Give him glory. Celebrate who he is and who we are in him as his children, as his sons, as his daughters. And then when we're all ready, we will come together and we will take the cup and we'll take the bread as one family and remember as one people our trustworthy our trustworthy God. Amen? So when you are ready, go ahead, grab one of the, element, the elements and come and have a seat and we'll worship God together.